What's up, guys? How are we? Good to see you guys. Hey, if you are, uh, if you're guests or you're just checking things out, welcome to LifeBridge. My name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if you were here last week, how great of a job did Fabian do? I mean, he just threw down. Like. I'm going to tell him later that when I actually said that, you actually stood and started screaming and throwing things, okay? But man, he just did a great job driving home the fact that Jesus holds all things together. Uh, last week, I was at a conference in Orlando. So I left 85 in palm trees and then landed Thursday night in an inch of snow. It was a real welcome to Colorado moment for me. Like, I'm just learning. This isn't cool. It's not fair. It's October. But hey, it's coming this week. Reality setting in. Um, I was actually at a conference that was led by Rick. And if you're fairly new, Rick was my predecessor here. And so it was awesome. I got to spend some time with him. We got to hang out and talk and connect with other church leaders from across the country about, hey, what's going on? Let's, let's learn from each other. Let's have conversations. Let's sharpen each other. And I got to tell you, uh, I left Orlando even more, about it, even more excited about our church than I already am because there's some really cool things happening in the church across the United States. Not only here, we've got some really cool things happening right here that I wish I had all the time today to tell you about. Um, but there's great stuff going on across the country in the church. But most of the time we just focus on the negative, right? Like we've got this impression at times that the sky is falling on Christianity because this new article was published that just kind of trashes the church. Or this new statistic came out and it doesn't paint the church in a good light. But you know what Mark Twain said about statistics? He said there's lies, here's the edited version, darn lies, and then there's statistics, right? You can make stats whatever you want them to be. Or we get nervous because of the, the direction the political winds happen to be blowing on a given day and we just get nervous. There's plenty of negativity, but what about the positive? Like what about the good stuff that's going on? What about the right things? What about our source of hope and strength? What about that? I mean, do we just keep that a secret? Because every single one of us at some point has been asked this question, hey, can you keep a secret? Right, you've been asked that question before. We're, we've got young kids in our house, so we're trying to drive home the fact right now that we don't keep secrets. We want them to learn that now and that they continue that as adults because when they're told to keep a secret, when they're told to hide something, really anything that's hidden most of the time ends up being harmful. Whenever someone asks you, hey, can you keep a secret, what they're really asking you is, hey, can you keep this hidden? Because if it gets out, if it gets revealed, then it's going to bring on negative consequences or pain or shame for you or for the person asking you to keep the secret. Like we're trying to tell our kids that, hey, you need to avoid that because lies tend to get bigger and bigger the longer they're concealed. Healing never happens if it's hidden. We, we want our kids to know that hiding secrets isn't safer. It's not safer at all. In fact, it invites the greater potential for pain and consequences. Secrets promise safety, but they only deliver pain. Actually, the greater sign of strength is someone who can't keep a secret. And that kind of sounds contrary at first because it doesn't sound like strength. It just sounds like that person's untrustworthy. Because who wants to trust the guy that can't keep his mouth shut with the plans for the surprise party, right? And everybody in this room knows who that person is, right? If you're that person, don't tell him or her, right? But there's times when secrets actually make sense and they're a good thing. So a few years ago for our anniversary, 
I wanted to surprise Kelly with just a long weekend getaway. So I found this awesome little cabin in the middle of a state park and I, I rented it for the, for the weekend. I got the kids taken care of with family. I, I booked reservations at different restaurants. I bought groceries for the cabin. Um, what else did I do? Oh, I packed her suitcase, which that was an adventure in and of itself. <laughs> I even called her boss to get her time off from work. Like, I wanted this to be a legit surprise. And this was going to be hard because Kelly's really good at sniffing these things out. So, you know who I didn't tell about the surprise? My kids. Yes, thank you. I, those, they can't keep a secret to save their life, which means we've taught them well. So, I, I don't know what I have to complain about. Didn't tell the kids. And, and the day finally came. It was, it was a Wednesday afternoon. I, I'd shipped the kids off already to family, uh, to family members' houses. Um, Kelly gets home on a Wednesday afternoon. She walks in the house, and I'm just sitting at the kitchen table. And I told her, all right, here's the deal. You got 15 minutes to change into something more comfortable if you want, but we're hitting the road in 15 minutes. I've already got your bag packed. The kids are taken care of. It's time to go. And her face just lit up with excitement and, and then confusion too. She was like, wait, wait, what, what's going on? Like, where are we going? Where are the kids? Because it's quiet and this is amazing. Like, what, what's happening right now? I said, the kids are taken care of. I've taken care of all the arrangements. Your, your boss knows about this. She gave you the time off. This weekend is meant for you and I to go away, have fun and relax. You'll know where we're going when we get there. Happy anniversary. And it worked. Thank you for the awe. Like, thank you. So if you could come back to the 11, Kelly's going to be at the 11, and I'd really love her to hear that. Um, so it, it finally worked. Like, I'd been planning this for months, and she didn't know. Like, I kept the secret, and it was hard for me to do because I just wanted to tell her. But I'm telling you what, I, I scored some major points. Probably shouldn't use the word scored there. That could use, like... <laughs> Guys, I just want to set you up, right? All right. Hey, if you want to, let's say it this way. If you want to win favor with your wife, plan a getaway weekend that she doesn't know about. I'm just trying to tee you up. Like sometimes secrets are great. They're, they're a good thing. They can help you score points. They get the same. I got to get back on track. Like focus. Like <laughs> we had that sermon a couple weeks ago. Um, hey, sometimes secrets are great. We're focusing now. They're great. And then eventually, though, they've got to be revealed. Like, if I would have never told Kelly about that surprise, if I just would have planned for months and, and kept that secret and then never told her about it, and we never actually went on the trip, like, I mean, that'd be ridiculous. I mean, what a waste of a good secret. Because good secrets, the right ones, I would say it this way, helpful and hopeful secrets are meant to be revealed at the right time and then acted on. Well, we're at the right time right now, all right? Look at Colossians 1, starting in verse 19, if you've got a Bible with you. Paul says this, For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you. You were once far away from God. You were enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you also must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. I mean, I'm in right there. 
That sounds awesome. Being in his presence, reconciliation, peace, being brought back to God, blameless, no faults. I got plenty of faults, so that sounds awesome. I'm in. Keep going, verse 24. I'm glad when I suffer for you. Wait, what? Hold on. I'm glad when I suffer for you. For I'm participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for him, for his body, the church. All right, so I was cool with all this until Paul said he was glad when he suffers. I mean, does he just have this sadistic personality? You know, because when, when, when it, we say that Jesus has good news, it's kind of hard to believe in the good news of Jesus. Sometimes it's hard to believe in Jesus at all when I see the suffering in the world. This is a pretty common pushback on God. How can God have good news for me? How can God even exist when I suffer or people around me suffer? You know, when Colossians 1 says that Jesus holds all things together, that he's got this, that we can trust this, that we can have hope in this, well, it's kind of hard to believe that Jesus is holding everything together when I just found out that cancer came back. It's kind of hard to believe that he's holding everything together when people feel more divided against each other now than they have at all in recent history. It's hard to believe that he's holding all things together when my, my marriage or my family's just falling apart. It's kind of hard to believe that Jesus is holding all things together when all I do is I just feel like I'm, I'm losing this battle to depression constantly. You ever thought of something like that before? Man, I have. Yeah, it's cool to hear great stories. Man, I love hearing about healing and, and relationships being restored and redeemed and people being brought back. Like, man, that's awesome. That stuff literally happens. But it's really hard to believe that Jesus is holding all things together when it just seems like everything around me is just falling apart. And then there's this guy like Paul. Man, he's this nice guy. Like, Paul loves Jesus. He travels all over the world to tell people about him. He writes 13 books of the New Testament. That's kind of legit. That gets you some credit. He plants churches all over the world. So how is it a guy like that? How come he suffers? And not only suffers, but he suffers in intense ways. I mean, that just doesn't seem fair. I mean, Paul went through the ringer. I mean, five different times he was flogged, just like Jesus was flogged right before he was killed. He was whipped. He was pelted with rocks and left for dead. Three different times he's beaten with rods. It's like come, somebody comes up to him with a baseball bat and just goes to town. Three different times he's shipwrecked. One of those times after he's shipwrecked, he actually spends an entire night and day just floating at sea. And then when he finally gets to shore, when he gets to land... He gets bitten by a snake. Like, come on. Like, more, than, more, than off, more often than not, he spent nights without enough clothes to keep him warm, and he didn't have any food. The guy was constantly in danger from every kind of people group you can imagine. He was wondering constantly, is today going to be the day that I lose my life? How is it a guy like that suffers and then says he's glad? I mean, what's his secret? Because glad is not the word that I would attach to my suffering. What's his secret? Well, hold that thought. We're going to circle back to it. Verse 25. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. I make the same promise to you. This message was kept secret. It was kept secret for generations and centuries past, but now. But now it's been revealed to God's people. 
For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. If you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. And this is the secret. Here's the secret. Christ lives in you. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. So the secret wasn't that God was going to send a Savior. That was prophesied for centuries. The secret wasn't that this Savior would pay for and wipe out every sin for anyone who believed in him. That shot was called long before too. The secret wasn't that the Savior would reconcile and redeem everything and that, he got, and that he has the power to do that. The secret was this Savior would do all of that so much more and now he lives in you. That changes everything. We got to see this. And this is for everyone, whether you're a Christian or not. This is for you. The language that we see in, in the Old Testament, starting in Genesis all the way through the Old Testament and really through the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The language from Genesis through the Gospels was simply this. God was with them. Key word, with God was with Moses. God was with the people of Israel. Jesus was with him or her. Je Jesus was with him. God was with them. And then that language abruptly stops in the book of Acts. Right after Jesus resurrects, right after he ascends into heaven, it goes from God was with them to God is in them. Huge difference. That's a monumental shift. No more God is with them. Doesn't exist anymore. Now it's God is in them. Who's them? Anyone who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So if your faith is in Jesus, if you're following Jesus, he now lives in you. The same Savior that came to redeem and reconcile and, and right every wrong. The same, the same Savior that came to promise eternal life. The same Savior that, that, is, that is going to change everything from now on and has since his resurrection. I could keep going on with a list of adjectives. That same Savior now lives in you. That is a game changer. This is how Jesus holds you together. When everything might feel like it's falling apart around you, even when you yourself feel like you're falling apart... The power that could not keep, the power that overcame death. The God who became man now lives in you and he gives you hope that you have assurance of glory. That means eternal life. He's promised you and given you a peace that goes beyond all understanding. He will right every single wrong. He gives you an insurmountable amount of joy. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness can go away with a phone call, but Jesus is, in Jesus, joy never goes away. And you've been promised that you are going to have the same inheritance that Jesus will have. The hope of all of that is how Jesus holds all things together for you. So you know what prayer doesn't make sense anymore? Praying, God, will you be with me? Doesn't make sense anymore. I've prayed that I don't know how many times. Like, God, will you be with me? Or God, will you be with that person? Or will you be with these people? I've prayed that I don't, without thinking twice. And, and there's nothing wrong with it. Oh, man, should I not pray that? Is that wrong? No, no, it's not, it's not wrong at all. It's just this. Now that the secret's been revealed that God in is so much better than God with, why would we pray for the lesser of the two? It's like taking a couple steps back. You tracking with me? Again, I've prayed, God, be with me more often than I can count, without thinking twice. But whenever I pray that, God, will you be with me? God, will you be with this person? 
It's usually because I don't know what to actually pray for. Now, I mean, I want God's blessing. I want his favor. I want his power in my life. I want and I do pray that he would intercede for other people, that he would move in mighty ways for other people, that his power would be in their lives. I pray that all the time. But usually when I say God be with me or God be with this person or these people, it's become this catch-all phrase because I don't actually know what to pray for and I'm underestimating the God that I'm talking to. It doesn't make sense to pray God be with me anymore. Instead of praying that, instead of praying for God to be with you or God for God be with these people, pray that God would unleash his power in you. Pray that. God, will you unleash your power in these people's lives? Because the power is not external anymore. It's internal. We don't have to wait for it anymore. And we don't have to make a, an appointment at 3 o'clock on Tuesday to be with Jesus. He's with us right now. So we can pray like that right now. God, will you unleash your power in me right now? When you pray that way, pray specifically for what you want and don't be shy. Here's the thing, all of us, we have to, we have to develop a healthy disregard for the impossible when it comes to our prayer life. Pray specifically, pray boldly. Ask for specific things that just seem so counterintuitive. There's no way that this could actually happen. This is impossible. Once you start thinking something's impossible, now you know you're praying for the right thing. When you pray for things that just don't make sense for you, like this is too crazy, this is too bold, this is too impossible. When you start praying those things, you know what you're doing to God? You're honoring him. Because you're saying, I believe that you can do this. The best analogy I can come up with on the spot is this. Like, if my kids ask me, Daddy, can you pick this up? Or can you reach this over here? Something that's physically impossible for them to do. Like, it's, it's either way too heavy for them or they're not tall enough. When they ask me, Daddy, can you pick that up? You know what I do? Let's go, kids. Let me show you what your daddy can do, right? Yeah, I can pick this up in one hand and watch this. My back just went out. Like... <laughs> Or, yeah, I can reach that. Watch me do that. And they're like, whoa, Daddy, you're amazing. And I'm like, I know, I am amazing. Like, yeah, Daddy, you're amazing. They're honoring me when they ask me to do things that are impossible for them to do. And as their father, man, I want to I say yes to those things. Because I want to show them what I can do for them. They're honoring me when they ask big things. When we ask God for big, specific, powerful things, we're honoring him. We're inviting him and almost egging him on to flex. Have a healthy disregard for the impossible when you pray. Pray specifically, pray for God's power to be unleashed in you because Christ in you changes everything. That power changes you and it changes the things around you. Christ in you is why somebody, somebody like Valerie Whatley would lead a ministry in, in our church for single moms and their kids. Man, that's a group of people in our society that get way overlooked and neglected today. But she's done that for years because Christ is in her. Some of you in this room have been blessed by that. And there's more people in our community that we can count that have been blessed by that for years. Christ in you is why a guy like my friend Seth would leave his job as a lawyer at a top law firm and move his family to another country on the other side of the world just so he could use his expertise to fight for young girls that were being trafficked. Christ in you is why a guy like Josh would give in just a radically generous way just so the church could have more money to give to new church plants across the U.S. Christ in you is why somebody had a conversation with me years ago 
conversation that they have long forgotten about. But what they said years ago to me is still encouraging me today. If your faith is in Jesus, then you have an unstoppable power in you that not only will glorify God first, but you have a power that can alter the trajectory for somebody else's eternity in such an amazingly profound way. Don't underestimate it. Have a healthy disregard for the impossible. And can I caution you in something with this? Don't play the comparison game. Don't compare yourself to other people. Man, whenever we compare, we usually compare up, don't we? We compare ourselves up to things that, oh man, I can't do something like that. That's too great for me. Or we compare ourselves to people that, wow, they're way too successful. They're, they're much more impactful than I will ever be. We always compare up. But here's the thing. Playing the comparison game is just self-inflicted discouragement. That's all it is. You're just going to discourage yourself. Like, don't do that. Don't fall into that trap. Don't compare yourself to other people. You be you. Don't try to be them. Be God who, be who God created you to be. Because whenever we play the comparison game, we're just asking to get hurt. When I tell you those things, not so that we would look at those stories and look at the results. I told you those stories so that we would look at the faith that was in them. What happens when Christ is in you? Not because of our own talent or, or our own grit or our own experience or how smart we think we are, but what can happen when Christ is in us, we believe that, we have the guts to ask bold things and ask for that power, and then we have the faith that it can do far more than our own capability. You don't have to move a mountain. You don't. You just got to make a move. I just make a move. Here's Paul's move. It's verse 28. It says this. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in the relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. So the secret has now become the mission. That's it. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, your mission is to reveal that secret. That's it. We're not keeping it anymore. The secret that there is a God that he loves you, that he's reconciled you, that his power can now live in you. That's too good not to share. Y'all, we have the greatest secret in the history of secrets, and we're just not going to let it be a secret anymore. Because if I have a secret that has blessed me and it's meant to bless other people, and I don't tell anybody else, I keep that to myself, like what's that say about me? Years ago, I watched a video um, by a pretty well-known and outspoken atheist named Penn Jillette. And man, this rocked me years ago and I still can't get past it. I knew I was going to mention it this week and it, each service, it still sends shivers up my spine every time. So Gillette is very outspoken about how he does not believe in God. In the video, he's being extremely respectful, completely respectful. But he said, here's what my pain point is. He's talking about Christians. He said this, if you believe that there is eternal life, and you don't tell other people about that and how they can get it, how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them that? So if we believe in Jesus and the eternal life that Jesus offers us and we don't tell other people about it, Gillette's saying, man, you hate people. That rocked me. So if we say we're about love, but we don't tell people about the love of Jesus, we're not really loving. We say we're about grace, but we don't tell people about the grace of Jesus, then we're not really gracious. 
We say we have faith, but we don't tell people about our faith. We're not, we're not being faithful. That's interpreting Gillette's perspective, and honestly, I agree with it. And I've thought about that for years, and it still convicts me. And this is why Paul says, this is why we work and we struggle and we warn and we teach and we suffer so that we can reach as many people as we possibly can with this secret and then help them become perfect. Perfect's another word for mature, so that we can help them become mature in their relationship with Jesus. That's our mission. That's it right there. As plain as can be. It's just the Great Commission wrapped up in different words. Our mission is to reach as many people as we possibly can with the secret the gospel, and then help them grow to maturity in their relationship with Jesus. And that's why Paul says, I'm glad when I suffer. I'm glad. Because when I suffer, it means that I'm able to help other people in the church grow into maturity in their relationship with Jesus. I'm glad if I suffer, if that means I can reach more people with this secret, that there is a God, that he loves them, and that his power can now live in them. I'm totally glad that I suffer, if that's why. You've got to be completely sold out to that mission. Not only sold out to it, you've got to be transformed by it yourself if you're willing to suffer and say, I'm glad when I suffer. Man, I want that kind of conviction. That's what happens when Christ is in you. Our mission is to reach as many people as we possibly can. Because today, Jesus might come back. And if he comes back today, it's going to be an awesome day for a lot of us. And it's going to be a terrible day for even more people. But we're going to play the long game at the same time. We're going to help people grow for years. Because he might not come back tomorrow. But our mission is to reach as many people as we can. And then help them grow in maturity in their relationship with Jesus. And in that process, here's the cool thing. You will grow yourself. Now I want to dive into this for a second. Because this is a question that gets asked pretty frequently and pretty often. It's simply like, hey, Matt, like, how do I grow deeper? Like, I want to grow deeper. How do I do it? Like, what books should I read? What should my quiet time look like? What, what Bible reading plan should I be in? Are there certain podcasts I should listen to? I want to grow deeper. How do I do that? Great question. We should all be asking that question. If you're not, that's a, that's a bad sign. Like, ask that question. How do I grow deeper? Man, I'm all in on all that stuff. Those have their own purpose and their place. I'm all in on that stuff. But that's really what we're talking about right there. That's a content and personal disciplines conversation. I want to talk about something else. If you really want to grow deeper, don't look internally. Look externally. Don't look at, look at what you can do for yourself. Look at what you can do for somebody else. Here's the thing. You will only grow as deep as you're willing to go to reach other people and help them grow. It's really important. I want to say it again. You will only grow as deep as you're willing to go to reach other people and help them grow. You tell me who you're reaching out to and, and who and how you're trying to help other people grow. doesn't mean you're going to be succeeding. It's okay. It's all about the effort and taking those steps, making that move. You tell me who you're reaching out to and who you're trying to help grow. That's going to give me a pretty good indication of how deep you're growing yourself. We talked about this two weeks ago. You only know what you actually do. So you, do you know stuff about Jesus? Or do you know Jesus in a relationship? If you just know stuff about Jesus, what you're probably going to want to do is accumulate more content. Because if I learn more stuff, that's going to help me grow deeper. But if you know Jesus in a relationship, 
You're going to know that your God that you're in a relationship with, he was all about reaching other people. He was all about helping other people grow. That's what he did. That's what you're going to do. We reach people, we help them grow. And in that process, it's a beautiful cycle. You will grow yourself. But don't get overwhelmed by the what ifs. Well, what if I get asked a question that I don't know the answer to? I'm going to have all the answers. I've got to be an expert. What happens if I get asked a question I don't know the answer to? You're going to be asked a question you don't know the answer to. When that happens, you know what you say? It's a great question. I don't know. But I'll find out with you. You're not going to have all the answers. People aren't looking for an expert today. What they're looking for is someone who's authentic and living it out. You say, I don't know. But man, that's a great question. Let me find out with you. Well, what if I say something that offends somebody? That's going to happen too. You're going to offend somebody. The gospel's offensive because it calls people to truth. I'm totally okay with the gospel being offensive. What I don't want to do is... I don't want to offend somebody by how I communicate it. You tracking with that? I just don't want our church to offend people by how we communicate the truth of the gospel. Don't get overwhelmed with the what ifs and feeling like you have to be an expert and feeling like you're not qualified. You don't have to move a mountain. Our God does that. You don't have to move a mountain. You just have to make a move. And maybe the first move is just, just a simple conversation. Maybe it's inviting somebody over for dinner. Maybe the first move is just inviting them to come to church with you. All right, Matt, I got him here today. Don't you preach anything that's going to make us cringe. You better have the right amount of jokes and they better be funny this time. <laughs> kind of hurts my feelings at times when y'all don't laugh at my jokes. I'm just saying. Like, have the right application, the right stories, the right points. Don't mess this up. That's not it either, all right? Like, hey, I'm a pastor, but there are no professional Christians if your faith is in Jesus, you have the same Jesus and the same power living in you that I do. We're not on different playing fields. Maybe it's they see something or they hear something that sparks a conversation with you afterwards when you come here. Man, that's awesome. Hey, what would you think when Matt said this or anything stick out to you? You want to come back with me next week? Maybe the first move is that simple. All I got to do is make a move. Our job is to reach as many people as we possibly can and help them grow. As a church, we absolutely want to grow numerically because numbers represent individual people and they represent individual stories and every single individual matters because Jesus was thinking about every single individual on the cross. So I want to think about numbers. Numbers matter. We want to grow numerically. But at the exact same time, we want to grow deeper as a church. It's not one or the other. Sometimes that, that gets pitted in churches today. It's either grow numerically or grow deeper. No, it's both. Man, that's what, our, that's what our God is all about. We want to reach people and we want to grow deeper. And the way that will happen is when you reveal the secret to other people. That's step one. So here's what we're going to be about as a church. As a church, we're going to do a terrible, terrible job keeping the secret. All right? God, um, thank you for the secret. Thank you for revealing to us. Thank you for reconciling us. Thank you that we were on the other side of the timetable when you revealed it. Now we know the truth. We know your love. We know your grace. God, would you just unleash your power in all of us 
that we would see insane things happen because we trust you and we ask for big things and give us a healthy disregard for the impossible with what you can do in our prayer lives. And start with me, God, because I just feel like at times I'm weak. I just throw up generalities and God, you're so much bigger than that. Father, will you let us be a church that tells the secret to as many people as we can? Not in a creepy way, but in an authentic way. And that we can reach people, that you would engage your church, the people that follow you right now, to go make a massive impact. And then at the same time, help each other and help other people grow. God, do this in us. We thank you for all that you've already done and all that you will do. We expect you to do great things. Thank you for the breath that's in our lungs. That's yours. So we just want to give you praise right now, Father. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.